we've been recognizing some anniversaries southeast. We've been recognizing some anniversaries uh, that help us mark some time in the life of our community. We've marked anniversaries of how long we have been online, which is a weird reality. Marked some anniversaries of how long we've been back together in this space and living in a hybrid kind of reality. We mark the anniversary of the beginning point of the start of our church community uh, back in early October. And today, we actually celebrate a little bit of a strange anniversary or a weird anniversary. It's one that I almost missed, but one that is maybe just as pitiful or pitiful. <laughs> you will see pivotal as the start of this church community. I was sitting downstairs and my wife came to me and she said, uh, she said, hey, happy stolen trailer anniversary. And I said, what? She said, happy anniversary to the day that our church trailer was stolen from us. This last week was the anniversary of that day. Nine years ago this last week, I drove into a hotel conference center where our church, not yet two months old, was meeting, pulled into the place that our trailer was supposed to be securely held, ready for us to gather together with over $20,000 worth of sound equipment and toys and banners, and pulling into that driveway and looking and realizing all of it was gone. And I can feel that moment, and I remember that moment. And I remember this sense of dread and honestly feelings of uncertainty that followed in that moment. <laughs> Wondering whether the last year that set up to those moments of starting out together and then two months in, whether it was this, was this it? Realizing all of it was gone and what would could come next and would we be able to get through and would we be able to move ahead together? If I'm going to be completely honest with you, these days feel so much like that. Every step in our lives, whether it's our church lives or our personal lives, I think we all feel a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of instability. Every step is nervously unstable as we walk one foot in front of the other. But I learned something nine years ago. I learned something nine years ago that continues to guide us right now. It guided us in that day, in that moment. It guided us in the weeks that followed, in the months that followed, in the years that followed, and continues to guide us today. And that is this. Our steps are only unstable when we think we're taking them alone. I want you to hear that again. And I want you to think about this statement, and I want you to hear this. Our steps are only unstable when we think we're taking them alone. We find this encouragement not just in something that I have written down in my notes, not, not something that I came up with. We find this encouragement in the scriptures. 
And it's what I want us to focus on today as we begin this brand new sermon series. In the first week of this series that we start, we meet a man named Paul and a letter that he wrote to a church while he sat in prison. Paul had had a life-changing moment that led him to say yes to the way of Jesus. And from that moment, from the moment of saying yes to Jesus, his life was changed and he began to go out and start churches all throughout the Roman Empire. At this point in history, Christianity was new. It was a dangerous idea. And the places that Paul went, Christianity was not always well received. So every step that Paul took, every step that the followers of Jesus took, were unstable, they were uncertain, and they were dangerous. Eventually, Paul was arrested, and he was placed in this prison where he wrote letters like this one to the church in the city of Philippi. And these new followers of Jesus, they were facing some struggles. They were facing some difficulties. The steps ahead of them seemed uncertain in the world that they were surrounded by. And so in this letter, Paul reflected on his experience. He looked back at the times where he had all the things that he ever needed, all that he had ever wanted, when life seemed easy, when steps seemed easy to take. And he reflected on those times that life was hard, difficult, and unstable. And he wrote to them, and he encouraged them, and he reflected on that experience, and he shared with the followers of Jesus in Philippi how they could be content And they could even have joy regardless of the circumstances that they found themselves in. Paul's teaching and his example of contentment that we see as he was in prison will help us face the difficulty that we face. He wrote this to help the people that he was writing to face the difficulties before them. Now, we may not face the same circumstances that they faced, But here's the deal. I know this about all of us. We are all facing something that tempts us to feel isolated, alone, weak, and just ready to give up. So I think these words that Paul writes to this church are are something we all need to hear today. I always tell you guys that when we get into a series, when we get into a message, I was coming to a place where I feel like I'm learning something from this and I'm bringing that to us as a community. And that's how I felt this week. That's how we felt this week as we read this passage and looked at it together. And I told Jill, I said, listen to the passage that I'm preaching on today. And it hit us exactly at the time we needed to hear this. And I hope it does the same for you today. So let's listen to this passage. This is in the letter to Philippians. We're going to start four chapters in. And this is what Paul says to this group of struggling believers in the city of Philippi. He said, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any In every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, 
whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I have a coffee mug. It sits on my desk. It's comically small, if you can tell. And uh, I don't know where this came from. I have a friend who has... Uh, who sent this to me. I don't, I don't know who it is. They're still anonymous to this day, and this just arrived one day in a box. And I opened it up, and I'm assuming this is the same person who keeps sending me coffee. So if this is you, I just want to say thank you, because I, I literally don't know who this person is, but they are a gift giver, and they are so encouraging. And so one day, I, I see this box, and I open it up, and I look at this, And I just started laughing so hard. I want to read it because it's going to be hard for you to see what it says, but I want to read it to you. It's based on verse 13 of this passage I just read. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. But instead of saying that, this coffee mug, this comically small coffee mug says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. I don't know if part of the joke about that is that I can drink this ridiculously small cup of coffee and somehow wake up in the morning, if that's part of it, or if it's a little larger than that, if this is speaking to some existential reality about our lives that says, I can do anything that's before me, but it says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. (laughs) Now, this coffee mug is a playful approach to a really serious issue. There's a teaching that's become popular. It's gained momentum with televangelists in the 80s, but it's almost tailor-made for Instagram and TikTok today. And it's called the prosperity gospel. And you can see it when it's shared. Its central claim is this, that God will give you everything that you desire, health and wealth and prosperity in every avenue of your life. Now, it's a reaction to the reality of suffering and why bad things happen to good people. The bad answer given is that those things shouldn't happen if you just had more faith. And you can see why it's popular. The idea that I can have everything that I ever need, that I can have health and wealth and prosperity in every avenue of life. You can see why this gains so much popularity. But the problem is this. The problem is that God never promises a life of health, wealth, and prosperity. So when a person buys into these false pretenses of prosperity gospel and they experience life like this, they experience suffering, they feel lied to. Or they end up in a cycle of self-deprecation thinking somehow their faith just wasn't strong enough. And we may say, hey, look, that's probably related to just some prosperity gospel people, maybe some televangelists, You know, maybe that's just some of the people that we see on Instagram saying these things. But the thing I think about this is that all of us are tempted in some way to believe this. Some of us in some way are tempted to dip our toes into this understanding and see life this way, particularly in our American context, where life sometimes is easy, where we don't face some of those struggles, especially in our suburban context. It's easy to think and say things like, hey, you know what? I've got everything I need because God just gave this to me. It's a blessing. It's how we end up with taglines like hashtag blessed. And you look and say, but what about those who aren't? What about those who don't? 
And so this is a reality we have to see and realize and say, hey, there's something not right here. There's something about this that doesn't make sense. Maybe there's a different way to look at things. Here's what I know. I can't promise you that when you follow Jesus, everything will work out in your life just the way you want it to. That's not the promise in Scripture. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples, he said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So like Paul, Jesus' earliest followers spent their lives living out this verse as they shared the good news of Jesus with the world. And they experienced ups and they experienced downs, comfort and suffering. They found contagious joy. I want you to hear that phrase and that word. They had contagious joy amid that array of circumstances because they prioritized their relationship with Jesus. They had a faith that was a peer-over-the-fence faith that caused the people around them to look and say, what is the matter with those Christians Don't don't they realize the suffering that they're having? Don't they realize the problems? And not just because of their faith, but everyday things. These are real people in a real time, in real society. So just like us, they had financial issues. Just like us, they had relationship problems. Just like that, they had worries about their jobs and their future. Just like us, there were rumors of war. There were pandemics. There were all kinds of struggles that they faced. But they had a faith that caused people to look and say, what is the matter with these people? I think I want some of what they got going on. And the people began to peer over the fence and look at these Christians and say, there's something about them. They have this contagious joy. They had a reality that was going on around them. They weren't out of touch with it. They understood the reality of their suffering. They understood the situations that they found themselves in. And they found this relentless joy despite it. And Paul says, I found the secret. I know what it is. And that brings us back to this passage that he writes here. So listen to what he says. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any, in every situation. Now, Paul wasn't the first person to talk about the idea of contentment. Paul wasn't the first teacher to talk about the idea of what it means to be content and how to be content. Philosophers like Socrates and Plato talked about the idea of contentment. The Stoics talked about the idea of contentment. All contemporaries of the Apostle Paul. So the people who heard this, particularly in Philippi, because they were a Roman colony, they had been around this teaching. They they had been educated. They knew what it was to search for contentment. And every time that they followed the teaching of someone else into what contentment was supposed to look like, they would end up disappointed. Some of them would teach that contentment was this idea that, well, if you just go after everything you've ever wanted, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, go for it. 
If it feels good, that's going to lead you to the happiness that you've been looking for. And you will find contentment and joy in that. And we've all heard it. We've all, we've all been tempted with that. We've all done things that we said, hey, I'm just going to go for what I want, what I desire. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or how it affects anybody else. My needs are going to come first. We walk that path. We get down that road. We believe the lie. And we find ourselves disappointed at the end of that road. And we say, I wish I had never traveled this road before. And it's easy to walk down that road, but it's even harder to walk back to square one. So we find ourselves with all kinds of regrets and disappointments. And I wish I had. So we know that doesn't work. So Paul is looking around. He's sitting in prison. All of these different philosophies that have come to him about what happiness is and what joy is and what contentment in, swirling around. He says, no, I said, none of my experience is found in those things. It's not because I did the things that I just wanted to do. Well, maybe it's a different one. Maybe it's this. Some of the philosophers would say, well, if you just had all of your needs met, we talk about this as the hierarchy of needs. We say, if I just have all of my needs met, then I will find contentment, then I will find joy, then I will find happiness. Now, for all of us, we've been down that road as well. All of us have been in a place where we feel like all of our needs have been met. We have everything we ever need to be happy. We have a house, and we have a car, and we have a good job, and we have all of these things, and we think, I'll finally be happy. <laughs> Jill and I were thinking about this. We were talking about when we were first married. And we were discussing how when we first got married, we thought, okay, so the first thing that we're supposed to do because we have new jobs is we're supposed to get a brand new car, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do. I don't know who gave us that bad advice, but that's what we did. And I remember looking at it and they said, well, you're supposed to do this because you have 0% interest. It's a great time to buy a car. Go buy a car. So we bought a car and we thought, now we have a car and we got a house and we got vacations and life is, this is supposed to be it, right? And then we found out, we said, wait a minute. We got everything that we're supposed to have, but there's not really contentment or joy here. This isn't the happiness that I thought I was supposed to have. Later on in life, we would find ourselves with not a whole lot of stuff except each other. Has anybody else ever been in that spot? <laughs> You've been in that position where all you got is each other, and that's maybe sometimes the best place to be. There was a point where Jill and I, I think all we had was the two of us and Jesus. And that was good enough. But sometimes you walk down that path and that road, you go down that journey where you're walking and thinking, if I just have more stuff and you just keep accumulating more things. And the scary part is, sometimes we get rewarded by it. And we just keep going after more. And we just keep going after more. And we just keep going after more. And we're not stopped until it's too late. And so again, we walk down back the path Realizing that path to contentment didn't get us there. And we have a lot of wish I hads and a lot of regrets, and we find ourselves back at square one. And you can hear Paul saying the same thing I know what it is to be in need. He says, I know what it is to have plenty. He says, I've been down these roads, and they didn't work. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in any, in every situation. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, 
whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So, why is it important to point out how easy it is to take that out of context? How easy it is to turn that last verse into a meme? How easy it is to turn it into some kind of self-help mantra? Like we always talk about here at Southeast, we have to ask the right questions about what we're reading. What's the context? Who's writing it? Who are they writing it to? What can we learn from that, and how does that then apply to us in our lives here today? So let's remember where Paul was when he wrote this. Paul's writing this when he's sitting in prison. He's sitting in a prison, unsure about his future. He's unsure about his wants and his needs. He's unsure about his next meal. He doesn't know what comes next, what day, where, where does this go from here? And he's writing to people who are facing some incredibly difficult struggles. So Paul didn't write these as some kind of mantra that you can get whatever you want. Paul wrote this instead as a way of giving something, not getting something. Paul wrote these words to give thanks. Paul gave thanks that he didn't have to summon his own strength. He didn't have to face his struggles on his own. And that's what the philosophy teaches, the other philosophy that was around him, that's what it teaches. It says, it's on your own strength. If you, if you just work harder for this, if you just go and get that, if you go and do this, you'll have all the happiness you ever need. And Paul says, no, I give thanks because it's not found in my own strength. It's not found in my own stuff. He didn't have to face his struggles on his own. His happiness... His contentment, his joy wasn't found in himself. For Paul, having Jesus meant having all he ever wanted, all he would ever need, and all the strength to face the uncertainty of life. See, we're all tempted. I know we are because I know I am. To think that if I work hard enough, if I'm smart enough, even if I pray enough, I can crush my goals. I can become the person I want to be. I can have all the things that I've ever wanted. And I can get it. I can achieve it. I can have it all in the name of Jesus. It's kind of like a win-win, isn't it? When we do that, the problem is I can do all things through Christ turns into a mantra of a motivational quote instead of words of thanksgiving that they were meant to be. Do you hear that? Do you hear how important this is? It doesn't become, I can do all things, I can crush this goal, I can do this, I can get this. No. We over-spiritualize our greed in that way. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, these are words of thanksgiving. These, these are words of giving thanks to God because I don't have to summon my own strength. I can do all things through Christ. I wrote it down this way this week. Paul says that faith isn't trusting that God will lead you out of all uncomfortable circumstances and into whatever you want, but trusting God and giving thanks amid those circumstances, whatever they may be. See, the power of these verses is that they change the orientation of our hearts and our minds. 
So rather than facing the uncertainty of life on our own, we've been given the incredible gift of the presence of Jesus found through the Holy Spirit in our lives and the incredible blessing of the community of the church. And for that, we give thanks. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength through the power of the Holy Spirit working through my life. I can do all things through him who gives me strength through the power of this community of the church that I don't have to walk this on my own. It is an incredible, incredible way to begin to give thanks. So I wonder, I just wonder as Paul sat there in prison, and I wonder as these different philosophies, these different ideas, these temptations to walk down these other paths, you know, I wonder where Paul sat with that. I wonder if he, some moments he said, you know what? I just want to be happy. If I just got out of this jail cell, man, I'd be happy. You know what? If I, if I just got to the next place where, where I knew my next meal, I'd be happy. If I had all those things I used to have, maybe I'd be happy. And I wonder if in that moment, I wonder if in that place, this is why he says, I found the secret to contentment, because in the temptation to say, I can get everything I want on my own. In the temptation to say that, he says, no, 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 no. I know that's not true. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And that in that moment, as he spoke those words, they become a prayer. They become a song. They become words that remind him of his relationship with Jesus, of his connection to the church. Paul wrote this letter because the church had sent him someone to come and show him support. And he writes back to them. He's thanking them, not because of something that they did, but something they had done through the work of Jesus. They showed him the love of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. He said, I give thanks. Because through him who works through you, through him who works through the power of the Holy Spirit, I find strength that I never could have found on my own. So nine years ago, I walk into that hotel conference center. I meet the rest of our team that was ready to unload the trailer, our brand new worship leader, brand new to that week, who looks at me and says, okay, where's all the stuff? And I looked at all of them and I said, it's gone. Derek, who's hanging out over here, one of my best friends, was there that day, and we kind of looked at each other, and I said, it's just all gone. There is no equipment. There are no toys. There are no banners. Everything is gone. And it would have been easy in that moment. And believe me, I was tempted in that moment to just go, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. 
this ain't worth it. I don't need this. And I'm serious, I was tempted to. Because we were crushed. We had no idea what was going to happen in that moment, but that was one of the most pivotal moments and maybe even one of the most pitiful moments that we've ever experienced. And maybe, maybe, maybe that word is right because it was pitiful because in that moment I said, that's it, I can't do this anymore because it's pitiful to lose my faith in the midst of that. And this is where I needed my friend Derek because I remember he looked at me, you looked at me, and he said, let's pray. He said, Let, let's pray right now. I said, Derek, fine, then you lead that prayer. <laughs> we got in a big old circle, looking at each other, and we pray in that moment. And I remember we prayed for the people who stole the trailer. That's the first people we prayed for. Man, as a moment you look around and say, these people understand what grace is all about in this circle. And we prayed that God would lead us in the days ahead. We prayed that we would move forward and figure out what is, where do we go from here and God, would you continue to guide us? That brand new worship leader said, all right, I got a guitar, we're fine. He said, we don't need lyrics, we're fine. We sang together, we prayed together. And that is where, that is where the idea of asking people what does it mean to be the church? How would you define the word church? That is where that came from in that moment for us. And we said, what is the church and what do you see the church? And I remember that day that people began to call out and say, and we even did this the first week that we gathered back together here. We said, what words would you use to define the word church? And they said, family and love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and community. And we still say that to this day. As folks who are new begin to connect and join this community, we say, how would you define the word church? What does that look like to you? And those words come back over and over and over again. And it doesn't mean that we always get it right. It doesn't mean that we always live those out. But it means that's our goal and that's what we're aiming for. That day we learned that our success as a church wasn't found in the things we have, the things we want, the things that we need. It wasn't found in lights or speakers or toys. And that's great because that's not the point. Rather than give up, we prayed because we knew that our hope is found in Jesus. And having Jesus means having all we will ever want, all we will ever need, and all the strength to face anything that comes our way. That day was an incredible day. And when I say we celebrate the anniversary of the Sunday that our trailer was stolen, I mean we celebrate that day day because I know I am never going to be the same. I know this church will never be the same because of that, because it changed us in a significant way. Every step of uncertainty we have faced since, we are reminded of that day and the strength that God gives us in every single situation. So here's what I know. I don't know what life is going to throw at us next. And I'm going to say something, and don't throw anything at me. This summer, we were all like, hey, this is cool. Things are going back to normal. We're going to get back to doing what we love. And for us here at Southeast, we were like, we're going to get to do movie nights. 
And we're going to get to do some of the, 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 the big old truck or treat that we love to do. We were like, I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. And then this stupid thing called Delta variant showed up and crushed all our dreams. <laughs> I don't know what's next. Guys, I, I don't know. Maybe there is another variant in the works. I know. Shh, 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 shh. I know. I shouldn't say that out loud. We don't know. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And maybe you're wondering, how do you handle all the uncertainty that you're going to face? Because maybe it's not just uncertainty about this stupid pandemic. Maybe the uncertainty that you're facing has to do with your job or your health, your financial situation. Maybe it's a relationship situation, but you are on unstable ground and you are afraid of taking the next step because you're not sure if that's going to be the one that's going to make you fall. But what I know is this, that you don't have to walk that step alone. You don't have to walk this alone. You don't have to face that uncertainty alone. My invitation to you is this, to say yes to exploring the way of Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn to the fellowship of the church and find the strength to walk the uncertain days ahead. Now, with all of that said, listen to this verse again. And let's never take it out of context again. Let's never make it a mantra that wasn't meant to be. Let's make it what it's supposed to be, but just giving thanks to God because he gives us the strength to face all we will ever face. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for those words today. And we are so thankful that we can take these words, so personally written by the Apostle Paul, accepted so personally by the church in Philippi, that we can take those words and we can see those applying to our lives today, that we can even make those words our very own words today. God, that we can say, I know what it is to have one. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. But God, I know that I can do all of it through your strength, through Jesus and through his church. God, I ask that today, wherever we are in our journey, that we would say yes to following the way of Jesus. Maybe we are down one of those paths of contentment that we're going to have all kind of regrets. We're going to find ourselves walking that path and find out I wish I had. God, may we turn around, may we repent, may we shift our focus and put it back on you. May we come back and say yes to following the way of Jesus. Whether it is the first time or the hundredth time, today in this moment, that is our declaration. I am saying yes to the way of Jesus and the strength that he provides for my life. God, we love you. 
And we thank you for these words of encouragement handed down from generation to generation to generation that finds us here today alive and well in those words. God, continue to help us to rely on you and trust in you, not just as individuals, but as this church. God, may we continue to keep the main thing the main thing. And may we not lose focus to love God and love others with the whole of our being. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray today. Amen.